And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And again, I'll, I'll try to remind you again later in the program, but for all the stories that I'm covering, all the issues that I talk about, and so many of them are, are issues and stories that you will not see anywhere else, certainly not on the mainstream news media, please follow me on Twitter, at JakeJakeNY. Uh, I understand some people have some problems with Twitter and some of the content that's on there. Believe me, I'm one of its start, you know, staunchest critics myself. But it is, I want to say something good about it, which is it is just a fantastic way to get your, your voice out to people despite some of the hurdles that the company puts up in front of certain voices, including mine. But the point is, at JakeJakeNY is a place to... You know, hey, you can even just fact check me there. If you're if you're wondering about a story that I'm talking about here on this program, and you want to see exactly what the heck I'm talking about and see because you can't believe it's true, then you know that's where you'll find it on that feed, and you can fact check me. So again, at Jake Jake NY, and the reason why I'm pushing the feed first again is because I want to talk about the in quotes the stories you missed, and you know, I've always felt like. It used to be something like I, I could have put together several years ago. I could have put together a pretty good one hour weekly, weekly program called "The Stories You Missed," and I could have just taped it on Friday morning. We could have run it maybe on a Sunday or Saturday night, and they would have been the stories that you missed for the week, important aspects of the that just you know major stories that, that I think were major in importance. But didn't get the coverage in the front on the front pages of newspapers or on the, in the networks or covered at all. But d- things that did happen, and then have some commentary and analysis on it. And I could put together a pretty good one-hour weekly show several years ago for something like that. Now I feel like I could put together a one-hour nightly show <laughs> with the stories you miss because. What's happened in the news media, when I got into television news in the mid-1990s, the mantra from local news all the way up to national news was story count, story count, story count. They really drummed it into our heads as producers, as young writers, anchors, reporters, anyone in the television news business. They really wanted us to get a good number of stories, as, as many stories as you could possibly get into a half-hour or an hour. So for the half hour news programs I used to produce, they really wanted to get something around 20 stories. And you know, you could count sports if you had three or four sports stories, you could you could count that in your total mix. Weather would still only count as one. And you know, it was a challenge, especially when I was in some of these smaller towns. I started producing television in Bangor, Maine. Folks, let me tell you, it was tough to get 20 stories in an hour in, our, in Bangor, Maine. Uh, but uh, there's a couple of things we did, <laughs> a couple of tricks I played to get that done. Then I was in places like Champaign, Decatur, Illinois, and even in places like Cleveland. It's, 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 it's difficult sometimes because of – it's not that there aren't amazing things happening, happening in every size city in America every single day. It's just some of it just doesn't get caught by the eye of the news. Um, it's pretty difficult to, to always capture that. So we were always under that gun to do that. Now, if you turn on the television today, I don't care what network you're talking about. I don't care whether it's CNN, MSNBC, Fox, or your local news stations – you are going to see a significantly f- lower number of stories. And I can really argue that on any, any, any given day, the major national networks really only cover one or two stories. It's a disgrace. Um, for a number of reasons, not the least of which being that when you only cover one story, you really have to start supercharging it with all kinds of biased type adjectives and bells and whistles and whatever else you need to throw into that story to get people to get excited about it because that's all you got. And 
it's one of the reasons why we have such sensationalized stories, such dichotomies of the way that the way people look at a particular story in the news, because the news media needs to generate an out- outrage. If you don't have twenty. Uh, 15 to 20 different stories for people to choose from where they can get interested in at least one or two of them. And you're only going to present one or two stories of that day, then you are very much more likely to supercharge that story and sensationalize that story and to make it much more frightening and negative than usual. Now, you've heard me say before here on Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network, as much as conservatives like me and other people out there who criticize the news media like to talk about the liberal news media bias, and it is a very big part of the bias in news. I still rank it as number three in the top three biases. If you remember, the number one bias, in my opinion, and it's something I've written about a lot, and I think it, it's, I really back it up with a lot of facts, the number one bias is the bias towards sensationalist, negative, scare tactic types, type news. For those of you who are wondering, and there might be a few of you out there who used to log on to the Drudge Report and you decided to stop logging on because it became much more critical of, of President Trump. What ha- you know, a lot of people ask me, what happened to the Drudge Report? What happened to Matt Drudge? The answer is COVID-19. COVID-19 Matt Drudge always was about sensational headlines, frightening kind of scary stuff with a conservative bent. But COVID-19 was, is such a disaster-type story. It's such a sensational a story that you can really sensationalize and make really, really frightening and really, really terrible. And for a lot of people, it really was really terrible. It's not a complete made-up story. It's just that it has never been as deadly as some of the other diseases that we've already been through in this country, even in the last 20 years. And it's just that our reaction to it in many different ways has been overblown. The, the disease is serious. The, it can be serious. The, the situation is in some places is serious. It is just not the, the kind of thing that we should have been locking down our entire economy over for anything more than a couple of weeks. Of course, now it just continues to stretch on and on and on. And they keep moving the goalposts. First, we were, trying, we were told to stop the spread so that the hospitals weren't being, wouldn't be overrun. Then we were told we've got to cut down the deaths. Now we say we're cutting down all the cases, even when cases can sometimes be very mild or cases, and we're counting people who've already recovered as cases. And we're also counting people who are not sick as cases. So we're, we've gotten to, you know, a, just an absurd point of, of panic and craziness in our response to COVID-19. And at times, in the beginning of this thing, it wasn't, it, it, was, ju- it, it was justified, but a lot of what we've done in the last couple of months has not been. But again, that's what happened to Matt Drudge. It's just it, it, the chance to kind of make this into a disaster type story and to blame the president is something that's way too alluring for any kind of news organization, especially one that relied on massive, big 16-inch headlines like um, Matt Drudge likes to flash across the page. So that's really what happened there. And so you can see why we've gone to this place where it's now, uh, this, this problem is now feeding into each other. It's, you know, when you have a bias already towards sensationalism and negative news and frightening people, well, in the old days when you were doing 20 stories, well, you could do that with uh, several different stories, but you wouldn't dwell on it. So I could scare you in the beginning of Eyewitness News in 1996 with a bunch of crime stories, even though crime had already started to really go down in New York City. Then I could scare you with the story about the two inches of snow we were going to get tomorrow, but this could be, and we'll call it Snowmageddon. Then I could scare you about uh, something in sports, maybe you know the, the Mets and the Yankees weren't going to play well or something like that. There were a lot of different opportunities to that, and as bad as that was, it was just a few minutes or maybe even less than a couple of minutes spent 
sensationalizing a story, making a particular story crazy. Then they moved on to something else. The problem with having a, a small story count, or almost no story count, the problem with having a one to two story count per hour, and sometimes for an entire day on a national news network, is it every hour it just snowballs into more and more hysteria. And with COVID-19, it's been one of those stories where they've only taken one pause those, that week or so after the George Floyd uh, killing. It's one of those things where they're just really trying to snowball and, and continue on that one story. One of the things you don't want to do if you're really interested in feeding your bias for, towards sensationalism and negative news is to move on to another story, even if it's also another scary story. Because then you've sort of tacitly said to your audience, well, that was scary. Story A was scary, but let me give you story B. In other words, you've already downgraded story A when you've done that. So they don't want to do that anymore. Now they just want to focus on one, almost one story a day. So very often, it's just one story a day. And that is why some of this stuff just takes a life of its own. Takes a life of its own. And then, of course, it feeds into those other biases, the, the liberal bias, the geographic bias, all that kind of stuff. And it just starts to snowball into one thing. And so you're missing a lot of important stories. Some of them are good news stories. Some of them are also stories that might frighten you or stories that might frighten somebody, depending on on where these stories are occurring. But you're missing them because they're focusing so much on just Trump, 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 COVID, COVID, COVID all the time. And that's all all the news media, especially the national news media, is looking at. And it's it's really a shame because there are some very, very important stories going, stories going on right now. So I want to talk about a few of them because they tell us a lot about not only what we're missing, but why we're missing them. So, folks, again, if you've been following me on Twitter or on Facebook, you know I've been cataloging day after day, every single day pretty much over the last three to four weeks, there has been another incident in Iran. Uh, some of them have been very major like the explosion at the Natanz um, nuclear facility, other at mis- there's been other incidents at a, mil- a missile facility. For the most part, Iran has been going through major attacks on its infrastructure. Let's say infrastructure, because I know it includes military targets like like the nuclear facility and the missile site. But the the fact is that it's also hitting areas of just their general infrastructure. Uh, there have been shipyards that have been uh, there's been a shipyard that's been uh, target hit by a fire. Uh, there have been petrochemical plants, uh, you, you name it. And every single day, if you follow my Twitter feed and also the, the others who, who, who write about this, there is yet another incident going on in Iran. Now, when this first started happening, the overwhelming conventional wisdom was that this was a result of probably Israeli cyber hacking. That, in other words, Israeli cyber hackers had hacked into the grids of some of these plants, and including the nuclear plant, or the in this case it was the gas uh, gas tanks that that fuel that you know gave power to the nuclear facility, which is funny because it's a nuclear facility, but it still gets its power from a gas tank, um, and somehow had instructed these the, these uh, internal computers to turn on themselves to basically trigger explosions or some kinds of major malfunction. So that's what. That's what the, that was the initial thought, and I, and I think that that's part of it. But folks, based on what we're seeing, and, by, and based on the fact that there have also been now more protests in Iran over their still crumbling economy, which is another story you might have missed, and I know that was a big story back in November when they had those long series of protests and the violent and genocidal, really no other word, uh, put down of those protests by the Iranian regime. 
where a lot, you know, hundreds and probably thousands of people were killed just for protesting, not for doing the, some of the violent stuff that we see in our streets, but just for protesting. Uh, again, that was something that we saw in November, but folks, their, their economy has taken yet another turn for the worse. They have massive inflation going on just in the last several weeks. So again, you've missed this story because the mainstream news media is not covering it. Actually, no one's really covering it in a big way. It's out there on social media. Uh, the Jerusalem Post, for those of you who want to see a more traditional newspaper or news source cover it, has been doing a pretty good job of writing at least a short story every day about every new incident that's going on in Iran. So that's one way to follow it. But again, you can follow me at JakeJakeNY on Twitter as I try to find you know, the, the latest incidents as soon as they happen. But it's clear to me, based on what we're seeing in these stories and my own sources, that really a combination of three things are going on right now. Yes, I do believe that there is some Israeli cyber hacking going on. I believe that the Israeli military, in response to Iranian cyber attacks on Israel's infrastructure, decided to fight back, decided to push back a few months ago, started with this major, uh, major effort. And I do believe that, that Israel played a big role in that. But I think that two other things are at play. The, first, the second thing that's at play is, you know, there, there's basically an Iranian revolution going on. There always has been an Iranian resistance. But after what happened in November, the idea that everyone would just roll over and go away, I think, was ludicrous. And with the economy going south yet further again, just recently, I believe that there are just dissident protest-type saboteurs in Iran who aren't really connected to any foreign government or any official revolutionary movement, I just think that they are vandalizing Iranian infrastructure assets as a form of protest. And I think the third thing that's going on, and this is something that I'm getting from my own sources, and I have very good sources on a couple of things that are going on in Iran and also in the areas surrounding Iran, uh, I have good reason to believe that there are at least one or two high-level defectors in the Iranian regime who have not had a chance to actually fulfill their defection dream, but they are basically auditioning for asylum in either given to them by the United States. I don't mean they would come to the United States, but some way to get out of Iran to be taken care of. I believe that there are one or two and probably more top level uh, members of the Iranian regime. I think one of them is a high level person in the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC which is Iran's terrorist army all over the world. And I believe that they are providing, at the very least, the names and locations of certain places that can be attacked. And in other cases, I think that they may also be handing over some computer codes. So this is a major story that's going on. You probably haven't heard it if you've only been reading the New York Times or watching the mainstream news media. Um, and based on my sources, this is a combination of those three things that I was talking about. Some form of Israeli hacking, uh, perhaps even aided by the United States, some form of just dissidents within Iran attacking uh, and, and sort of attacking the regime from within, and aid from top-level defectors or would-be defectors or, or wannabe defectors, that kind of thing. That's what's going on in Iran. So again, but if you're a news network that only wants to talk about COVID and only wants to frighten people about that, you're not going to get into the Iranian story because while the Iranian a, a, a collapse of the Iranian regime can be that can be made to, into a frightening story for some people, even if you don't like Iran, because you can be made to fear that the Iranians will pull some kind of crazy trick to the Iranian regime to stay to stay alive. 
it's not like that story can't be sensationalized or made into a negative or scary story. It's just that for a lot of people, this is a positive story. For those who are oppressed within Iran, it's a positive story. For those who are threatened by Iran's war machine, like the Israelis, this is a positive story. And the Saudis, this would be a positive story. And for those of us in America who know how serious an enemy Iran is to just the United States, forget about everybody else for a moment, it's a positive story to hear that there may be some kind of movement within Iran to end this problem. So that's too positive a story for the news to cover right now. And frankly, when you take a look at the people who are providing us major news right now, I don't know if they could really do the story properly. I mean, to give you an idea, the last television network I worked with, I worked at, they were high level managers of the network who would sit in on our news meetings, you know, news stories that I was covering, you know, an hourly show every night, mostly about Israel and about the Middle East in general. And, and, and these high level people couldn't find Israel on a map, let alone Haifa or Jerusalem or anything else like that. I mean, it was really insulting to have to sit there and be judged, have my, have my, have my proposed rundown and the stories I was going to cover judged by people who didn't know any of the issues going on really in the Middle East, didn't know enough about the, about Israel probably only knew what they saw in mainstream news media, so God knows what they thought of Israel. Uh, and, and this is what I had to sit through. So honestly, a lot of the time, you know, you have to understand that a lot of reasons why some of these stories that I'm talking about that you're missing, it isn't just because they're obsessing about one story, although that's the biggest reason. It's also because these folks don't really have a tremendous knowledge of the, of the stories in the first place. They really couldn't tell you what's going on. Um, so that's one major story going on right now that you've probably missed. Um, the interesting thing about it is that there's an update just about every day. There have been very few days where there hasn't been an instant incident like this in Iran. So follow my Twitter feed, follow the Jerusalem Post, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll probably get the news of each incident at, you know, within an hour of, its, of them occurring. Another big story that you're probably missing is the Three Gorges Dam in China, which is a major, I mean, really, in many ways, their most important infrastructure product, uh, project has been failing. And there have been massive floods in China, not only connected to this dam problem, but also because of the rains that have been hitting China for, for several days now. It does now appear a lot of experts believe the Three Gorges Dam will completely break any day now. And if that happens, you're going to have a massive economic hit to China. You're going to have, sadly, probably a lot of casualties. We hope that that doesn't happen, even if the dam breaks. But this is a story that really bears watching. The Chinese regime, of course, has suppressed a lot of the reporting of the story. The average folks out there who, in China who might put it on Twitter or, or one of the social media uh, platforms in China are getting censored, the whole thing. But some reporting about what's going on with the Three Gorges Dam and with, with, about what's going on with the flooding in China is getting out. And one, of the reason, and one of the ways that we know that it's getting out is the markets are responding to it. They know what's happening. The investors who have a lot of money in China and have a lot, a lot of skin in that game have in the last few days started to show a negative response to all this, as you would expect. So for example, we had a couple of days last week where Asian markets generally did well, but not Shanghai Shenzhen Composite. That had a big loss, I believe, the other day, while even as Hong Kong had a gain and Japan had a gain. So what's going on now, the mainland Chinese stock market is starting to really respond negatively, understandably so, to what's going on with this flooding and with the potential of this major dam breaking. This is a huge story. 
Again, I can tell you the reasons why the news media in the United States isn't covering it. There are a lot of them. The biggest reason probably is that it's a, it's, it's a foreign story going on completely in a foreign country, which doesn't really directly affect the United States. And even before our crazy news situation in the business started, you know, several years ago, that was always a, a big strike against a story like that. But again, it's if something bad happens in China, I, there's probably a fo- there's some folks at CNN and MSNBC who believe that this would make this would be good for Trump somehow. I don't really see how necessarily would be bad for him. But they're not going to report on anything that isn't about obsessing about Trump or obsessing about COVID disaster. So it's just not going to make it. But this is a huge story. Remember, China is still our most populous co- country in the world, folks. And it's the biggest dam in that country. And in many ways, the signature infrastructure product project in that country fails. And the casualties that could come from it, again, we hope it doesn't happen. But this could be a very major, very major, very serious, serious problem. And again, just look at the way the markets are reaction, reacting. The, the Shanghai index going down while other Asian markets and the U.S. markets are going up is a very big sign that investors in mainland Chinese stocks that would be affected by this dam and what's going on there already know that this is really, really a big problem. So another big story that you're probably missing, and I hope that you, that you can catch up with it. Again, you can catch up with it on at JakeJakeNY. Now, the third story I want to talk about that you probably missed is one of those that I had to put a little asterisk because I think you were missing it until Saturday night or maybe Friday night. But Portland had about seven straight weeks of violent rioting in the center of that town. And I'm not talking about just loud protests. I'm certainly not talking about peaceful protests. I'm talking about police cars being burned. I'm talking about property being severely vandalized. I'm talking about lives being lost and, and, and injuries being incurred by folks. And after seven weeks of this, the Department of Homeland Security sent people in, sent their, sent their agents in, and arrested a couple of people, quite peacefully, by the way. This was, they didn't need to shoot anybody. They didn't need to uh, knock anybody over the head. A couple of people were basically apprehended. Now, whether they were completely fully booked and, and arrested like you would, you know, and, follow, and Mirandized and all that stuff, that is not as clear. Now, the Department of Homeland Security says that these were lawful arrests and they had warrants and all of that. And the reports that some people heard early on over the weekend that these DHS folks didn't, weren't identified is, is not true. They were wearing DHS patches. It was very clear. They don't have their names on the uniforms because their families very often get targeted. But it was clear that they were Department of Homeland Security uh, folks, and they went and they got these guys. Uh, I can understand from a libertarian point of view, people wanting to really parse the facts here and find out whether the, these, these things, these apprehensions were done properly, whether or not they were eventually lawfully arrested. I can understand all of that. But what is not acceptable is that we had seven weeks of this kind of rioting, seven weeks of this kind of violence, and it just did not break the news. It did not break into the major news networks. And that is why both the mayor of Portland and the governor of Oregon were able to put, pass on this entire, you know, baloney type story about how, well, we had this under control and then President Trump sent in these federal troops. Yet they're just not, it's just not true. But you can get away with lying when the national news media doesn't cover a story, just like Governor Cuomo in New York. He can get away with pretending he did a great job fighting COVID-19 because for the most part, with a few exceptions, the national, the national news media did not cover his disastrous decision about the nursing homes that really left thousands of New Yorkers unnecessarily dead. 
But you can get away with that kind of stuff. So this is another story you probably missed. You probably, unless you were following my Twitter feed, unless you were following some of the other sources that were covering this, you didn't know that Portland had, was basically on fire for seven weeks. And considering how bad it was, what the federal government did to stop this rioting or to, or, or to get some of these ringleaders is pretty peaceful, pretty amazing that it didn't get worse. Now, in the, in the 48 hours or so since this happened, the anarchist, riotist folks in Portland have tried to take their battle to other parts of the city. They broke into the police union building and tried to set and did set it on fire. They've done some other things there. It's spread to Seattle now, which is seeing some incredibly uh, violent stuff, which is Seattle's been dealing with, you know, violent type rioting and anarchy for quite a while now. So... You're probably not seeing a lot of this being covered at all, but it hasn't really necessarily stopped. It's maybe taken a short break here and then comes back. But the idea here is that if you miss that story, you're really more likely to believe the baloney that the politicians say about it or the baloney that some networks say about it. I mean, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi called those DHS guys stormtroopers. I mean, she, she used a Nazi analogy. Shame on her for doing that. When it was nothing of the sort, the people that were arrested were quite violent, and these and these and this was a lawful uh, lawful apprehension, at least according to the DHS. They followed their their own rules. You want to take issue with what happened after they were apprehended? That's fine, but they are not stormtroopers, and this was not some kind of illegal roundup of people of peaceful people. I mean, it's just it's just not true. None of that was true of what she said. So, folks, it's it's more important than ever to search out these other news sources to make sure that you are up on a lot of these stories because you will not be able to tell what's true and what's not true coming out of the mouths of our leaders and of the main, and, and then of major networks when something happens in the story that finally does get it into the national consciousness. I mean, that's exactly what happened this weekend. You had seven weekends, seven weeks of, of violence and horrific stuff going on in Portland. Nobody in the mainstream news media said a word about it. A couple of these people get, these ringleaders get apprehended peacefully, I might add. And suddenly they're calling the, the, the Department of Homeland Security guys Nazis, and stormtroopers to be exact, what they called them. I mean, just unbelievable, unbelievable. I want to finish this edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network with just a, a, a word about John Lewis, Congressman John Lewis, who died over the weekend. And, you know, it's a very difficult thing, I think. And I think it, be, it would be better if Jewish leaders were a little bit more honest about how difficult it is to talk about people like this, rather than just either not talk about it at all or to whitewash things or to make things, use rose-colored glasses to talk about stuff. John Lewis had a... Had a had, a, had an amazing career in his young years as a civil rights leader. He was very close to Martin Luther King Jr., the whole thing. But we shouldn't forget that, in the, in, that a couple of things. One is he was a congressman for a district that really never saw improvement in its crime and economic stature in all the years that he was a congressman there. And that's, that's a problem. It doesn't mean he, he, it was all his fault, but that needs to be discussed. And from a Jewish standpoint, remember, he was a very strong supporter of the Iran deal, he was a very strong supporter of some of the Marxist leanings that were starting up again in the Democratic Party. He was becoming a bigger critic of Israel, all those things. And I think that for Jews in America, we should start being able to say and not being afraid to say that, hey, we, we still want to support the cause of civil, civil rights. And we still think that the, the fate of too many people in black America is not good enough. 
But as Jews, we, we, we expect a little bit more respect for our community as well from black leaders. And we would really like to see a return to the kind of support for Judaism and the support for the state of Israel that people like Martin Luther King, who was John Lewis's number one mentor, that people like Martin Luther King exemplified throughout his career. I think it's okay for us to say that. We don't necessarily have to follow everybody else's tune. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.